Before the scripture reading, you heard us sing a new song, a new song to us, at least. I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. Then you came along and put me back together. And every desire, every desire, is now satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. Lord, there's nothing, nothing that's better than you. As I was rehearsing that song this week and preparing to record it uh, to present in this worship service, I was reminded of a time when I was much, much younger in, in a youth choir at my church, and the director stopped us mid-song and said, can you really sing this? And I said to myself, well, sure I can. I know the notes. I know the words. I can sing this. But that wasn't what the director was talking about. The director was saying, and said very clearly, this song says that you are giving yourself 100% to the Lord. Can you sing this? It was a challenge. It was a challenge I will never forget. And I have to say that this song that we just sang reminds me of that song and reminds me to ask myself the question, can I really, truly, honestly sing this? Is there truly nothing in this world that I seek for fulfillment more than I seek for fulfillment in God? Am I still seeking empty praise from people? Am I still seeking treasures, believing that this time they won't fade? But the song is true. And we are um, called, encouraged, invited to change our hearts so that the song becomes more and more true within us. And Paul speaks of that here in Philippians chapter 4. I'm looking particularly at verses 11 through 13 and then uh, shortly toward the end at verse 19. Paul speaks of the secret of being content in all circumstances. That contentment is a, a sense of deep, deep equilibrium, a, a, a settledness no matter what happens. And he calls it a secret because it doesn't come naturally to us. It's not hidden away and so that we can't find it. But it, it doesn't come to us through our natural impulses, our natural uh, sense of things. But it's not secret. God revealed it in the Ten Commandments and, of course, before that. But in the Ten Commandments, we have the first commandment, which says, Have no other God before me. The second commandment, Make no idols. And then the 10th commandment, do not covet. In other words, don't want what other people have. And all of that tells us that our hearts, our hearts are made for fellowship with God first and foremost. And when we are looking to the things of this world to fulfill us, we will be disappointed. They won't do it. And so God in giving the Ten Commandments isn't in, 
as many people think, saying, this is what you have to do because I say so. This, he says, this is how you should live because it's how living works best. I made you. I know you. I know this is what will fulfill the desires of your hearts. And yet, uh, humanity runs away again and again. We look for fulfillment in things that cannot ultimately satisfy again and again. In uh, C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, he writes uh, a very short chapter on hope. And in that chapter, he writes this. Most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they are never quite, they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country, or first take up some subject that excites us, are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. I am not now speaking of what would be ordinarily called unhappy or unsuccessful marriages or holidays or learned careers. I am speaking of the best possible ones. There was something we grasped at in that first moment of longing which just fades away in reality. I think everyone knows what I mean. The wife may be a good wife. And the hotels and scenery may have been excellent. And chemistry may be a very interesting and rewarding job. But something, something has evaded us. Now there are two wrong ways of dealing with this. And one right one. I'm going to tell you what Lewis says are the wrong ways and the right ways. The first wrong way is the way of the fool. Lewis's word, not mine. But the fool says, well, this didn't work, so I'm going to try another one. This wife didn't work. I'm going to try another one. This job didn't work. I'm going to try another one. This boat didn't work. I need a bigger one. This town in which I'm living doesn't work. I have to find a new one. The fool continues to look and look and look and change and change and change all the circumstances of life, trying to find that elusive contentment in something very similar to what has failed them before. The fool fails to realize that these things do not fulfill as they promise to do. The second wrong way is, seems more sensible to us. It's the disillusioned way. The one who stops dreaming, stops expecting, and settles for life being as good as it gets. This is as good as it will be. And then therefore shuts down that deeper longing for something bigger. But then, as Lewis promised, he gives us the Christian way, which, of course, we believe is the right way. He says that that longing within us points to a reality. 
A baby cries because it's hungry, because it has the sense of hunger, because hunger can be fulfilled with food. We feel thirst because there is water that can fulfill that need of thirst. Lewis says that if there is a desire, there must be something that fulfills that desire. And the writer of Ecclesiastes says, God put eternity in our hearts so that we would seek after God. And so then, the secret of contentment is to find fulfillment in our relationship with God. There is nothing, nothing better than God. Nothing that truly fulfills. And it's interesting here, we find in verse 13, one of the most tattooed verses in all of scripture. One of the most quoted verses in all of Scripture. One of the most cross-stitched verses of all Scripture. I can do all this, or in a previous translation, all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we say, ah, good. Thank you, Paul. I can do everything I want. And what we do is we interpret that verse to mean all the things that I've been investing in before. I will ultimately get those things and get the satisfaction that they promise because I'm trusting Christ to get me those things. Evander Holyfield had this verse um, embroidered on his robe as he went in for a boxing match. And the Christians, many said, oh, wow, look at that, a Bible verse. And then he went on in that, uh, when that um, robe appeared to beat up Mike Tyson really well. And the Christians said, oh, look at that. God can do all, he can do all things because Christ strengthened him to beat up that guy. The problem is, he wore the same robe when he went up against Lennox Lewis, and he lost. Many people claim that verse as their life verse, saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then they say, I can pass this exam without studying because Christ strengthens me. I can do very foolish things and not deal with the consequences of them because Christ strengthens me. But that is not what this verse means. Look at the context. The context is Paul saying, I have contentment in all circumstances. This is the same Paul who at the very moment of writing this is chained to a prison guard in a prison awaiting the possibility of his execution. The same Paul who wrote in Corinthians about all of the things that he has endured because of his faithful witness to the gospel, being shipwrecked, being beaten, being left for dead. The same Paul who suffered incredibly for his faith because his faith was not in getting away from suffering. His faith was in the kingdom of God, the promises of God, his relationship with God. So when he says, I can do all this 
through Christ who strengthens me, he says, I can do all this, all this, which is putting my hope, all my hope, all my trust, all my expectation for ultimate fulfillment in Christ. And all of these things will work because of Christ who strengthens me. Paul is actually uh, twisting uh, the thoughts of the Stoic philosophers who use the very same word um, for contentment. I have found the secret of contentment um, as a self-fulfilling thing or a self, um, self-sufficiency. self The Stoics would say, I'm self-sufficient. I'm content because I don't let those things bother me. I choose not to feel pain. I choose not to hope in those things. But Paul twists it and says, I know the secret of contentment, of sufficiency. And that is in Christ. In what Jesus Christ has done to bring me into the presence of God. I am sufficient in Christ not in myself. So how do we break this power of coveting or break this power of putting our hopes and desires into things that will not satisfy? <laughs> I'm really showing my age with this one, but do you remember way back the movie The Jerk? Steve Martin is is being pulled away from his home and he says, well, all I need is this and thinks he's ready to leave. But then he sees something else and says, all I need is this. And by the end, he has accumulated a great number of things because those are just the bare minimum of things he needs because he has put his hope and trust in those things. Uh, we need to do the reverse. If we're going to break the power of coveting, if we're going to break the power of um, trying to find contentment in things that will not deliver. And that is to make a list of all the things that we think we need and say, I don't need that. All those hopes and dreams and say, I don't need that. Now that doesn't mean that you'll never have that. That doesn't mean that you have to get rid of everything you have necessarily, unless those things like the a rich young ruler who came to Jesus kept him from trusting Jesus. If those things keep you from being able to put your hope and trust in the only satisfaction of the desires of your heart, which is a relationship with God, then it would be best to, to get rid of them. But what we need to do is change our minds toward them, if we can do that, and to say, yes, this is what I think I need, but I don't need that. And certainly living in a global pandemic has helped us with some of that. We thought we needed this or that, and at the beginning of the pandemic, I sort of flippantly said a few times, well, maybe this will help us put aside those things that we think we need that we don't actually need. But most of us at this point are just saying, ah, when this is over, then I'll be able to get those things again. Folks, let's be careful. Yeah, they're good things, and it's not wrong to have them or want them, but if our desire for them claims our soul, if, and you can tell this by, if not getting them 
makes us angry, makes us mean, makes us despair, then they're holding a place in our hearts that is unhealthy. They're holding a place in our hearts that only God deserves to hold. We must cultivate our faith in God. First, um, break the power of those desires that will not satisfy and feed the power of our desire for God. And no one that I know really fully lives this way yet. But we believe that that is what will ultimately give our hearts their satisfaction, is our growing relationship with God and ultimately entering the glory of his kingdom when then all those desires are fully met. This is our hope. And now, as I said, verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And he's talking here about how they had given to him financially. And he says there that he knows that those who are generous will not be in need. And those who are generous will not be in need because God is wealthy. <laughs> you know, there, there's a limit to the wealth of any, anyone <laughs> except God. There is no limit. There is no point at which you will get to the end of the resources God is willing to share with you. But God doesn't want to share those resources with you if they're going to pull you away from him, but if they're going to help you in your walk with him. Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever fresh, refreshes others will be refreshed. And Psalm 37, verse 23 through verse 26 says this, The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. I was young, and now I am old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. How are they generous? Because they know that God will provide, because they know that the resources that God is willing to provide are limitless. Let's work to break the hold of those things that always disappoint us. I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. Then you came along and you put me back together and every desire is now satisfied here in your love.